Happy Tuesday. That's it. Happy Tuesday. Y'all too young to be that tired, man. It's the young adult ministry. It's Tuesday night. We can't give the old, quiet response. I need some energy in here. Are y'all awake? Y'all happy to be alive today? Good. Me too. Look, I hadn't planned on what we've been talking about over the past month or so being a sermon series, but that's kind of what it's turned into. I feel like we started with uh, this theme of staying the course, and God hasn't let it go. I feel like he's continually speaking to me about this theme in my own life, and I believe that it's a huge thing that we have to talk about in the church at large, and then especially with us in this age range, because... We tend to burn really hot at first. We start off really strong. And then, especially after, you know, a a few years of of doing some ministry in this space, I've seen, man, we come and go. A lot of times we burn really hot and then we fizzle out. And there are those few people who really stay the course. And we started off talking about that because that's what Jesus experienced. Jesus had thousands of people who listened to him, but how many people really stayed the course? Even when we see Jesus go to the cross, there's nobody left. There's nobody left with him at the cross except the disciple John, his mom, and some of the other women in his ministry. But a lot of the other disciples had scattered because this is not an easy walk. It's not an easy walk. And and I feel like I need to present that to you. Because I don't think we hear that enough. I don't think we hear enough that things are going to be difficult sometimes. That you're going to experience some challenges. That you're going to experience more challenges than what you expected. But when we look at the scriptures, we see that. When we look at people's lives in scripture, we see that. That that's a reality of life. Period. And There's no exception when it comes to walking with God, that you're going to run into some challenges and you are going to experience some pressure and, dare I even say, pain. And I've found that one of the primary things that takes us off course when it comes to living a life of our calling with God, there are two things that I especially see, especially in the younger years, One is ambition, lust, just desires that have overshadowed God's calling. The other side is pain. We get hit with a a punch we didn't expect, and it shakes us to the core. And how many of us have come to the point of questioning our faith as a result of pain? And I would say that we question our faith as a result of pain because we weren't expecting pain to come with our faith. And I think there are a lot of different reasons for that. I'm not blaming anyone in particular, but I've just found that um, it's not the most exciting thing even to preach about. It's not. like it's, It's much more exciting to preach something, you know, inspiring. You know, God has called you. 
and he has all these amazing things for you. Those things are true. But it's not going to come without pain. It's just the reality. And I've seen this throughout my own life. And I think that one of the most challenging pains that we experience is just the pain of unmet expectations. I mentioned it last week, but unmet expectations, things were not supposed to go this way, is one of the most challenging pains that we experience. It's not just that an event happens, but it's the fact that the event happened and we didn't expect it. And we can find ourselves spending more time ruminating on just the fact that it happened and we feel like it should not have almost more than the event itself. Unmet expectations. What are your expectations of God? I don't know if we evaluate that enough. Because many times we talk about God's expectations of us. But I think that many times we orient our lives much more around our expectations of God than God's expectations of us. And what really makes that dangerous is most of the time we have unrealistic expectations of God. We have expectations of God that he has never promised us, like an easy life. Y'all glad y'all came tonight? Glad you're in the building tonight? Glad you're watching online? I hope you are. And And here's why. Because I know you're experiencing this. It doesn't matter what season of life you are in, you are familiar with pain. How you deal with it can vary, but you've experienced it. I want to help us contextualize it a little bit tonight. And tonight I want to talk about God-ordained pain. Not the most appealing subject matter. You know, if you had an option, you know, like when you're selecting classes in school, like what elective you want to take. God-ordained pain would probably not be the one you sign up for. Like, I'm not signing up for that class. But can I tell you, it would be the most useful class you could ever take. Because what you don't want to look at is exactly what you need to be able to understand. It's this area of our lives that we don't want to look at, that we don't want to ask too many questions about, that we actually need in order to understand the things that God wants us to understand. And I I got to this place, honestly, of, of talking about this through a weird pattern of thought. I'm gonna share with you guys what it was, and it's gonna seem really random at first. I was thinking about I was thinking about a few days ago um, how in high school I had acne. I did. And even into early college. And, you know, I didn't have an answer for it. Nobody did. Proactive. (laughs) You know, all the commercials, all the face washes that, oh, I used this for four days and now my skin is clean. Didn't work. And it wasn't until I, I when I got in college, I wasn't actually like what helped me get clearer skin, I was not doing to get clearer skin. 
So it was when I actually like really got into working out. And when I got into working out, I was trying to figure out like why I was not getting the results that I really wanted. And I realized through some research that Burger King <laughs> was not helping my workouts. Like, I'm like, why is my body fat percentage not going where I want it to? And I realized that my fast food diet of Taco Bell, especially 2 a.m. Taco Bell, and juice, and all types of toxic foods were not helping my workout goals. This is some free game for some of you guys, all right? <laughs> In addition to your spiritual food tonight, here's just some reasonable help for you, practical things to apply. So at, when I started changing my diet, drinking more water, because in high school, like how much water are you really drinking in high school, right? It's like, man, five ounces, you know, <laughs> maybe all day. But when I started getting, getting into a different lifestyle, I realized that my skin started cleaning up, clearing up. And even to this day, like, if I eat the wrong thing, it's going to show in my face. And here's what I learned, is that a lot of times uh, what we're seeing on, in our skin is stuff trying to leave our body. But nobody talks about that. It's like, oh, just use this face wash. It's something trying to get out of your body. Your skin is an exit point for toxins. That's why we sweat. And a lot of times, what's happening in our skin, when we have issues in our skin, toxins are trying to leave our body. And as we detox, we may notice some clearer skin. So how did this lead to what I'm talking about tonight? It got me thinking about the fact that there are so many times we are just focused on the external when the solution is something internal. So I spent years trying to figure out why the outside wasn't what I wanted. When the whole time the issue was something internal. The issue was what I was consuming. The issue was I needed to change internally. You guys following me? And this is how God operates in our lives. That God is always focused on the real solution that we need in life. And the real solutions that we need in life are always internal. We always want our circumstances to change. But your circumstances changing are not going to be the most potent thing that happens in your life. It is your character changing that is going to be most potent. When we start a journey with God, his goal is to make us like him. Sometimes we forget that. So we ask, well, why am I going through this? Why, why do I have these circumstances? And we can get so caught in the why that we miss what he is doing. And what God is doing is, is making us like him. That's his goal. We are following Jesus 
to become like Jesus. And I know many times we have different understandings of the gospel, but the gospel is all about God reconciling us to himself. And part of that process is the transforming of how we think in our inward character to be more like him. That is the work that he is continually doing in the life of the believer, is making us like him. So this is why when you become a Christian, when you get right with God, this is why it doesn't make your life easier. This is why following Jesus doesn't mean all your circumstances get easy. Many times your circumstances get more challenging because God is doing something internal. And one of the things we talked about last week was that you don't really get developed all that well on the mountaintop. Like when everything is going fantastic, it doesn't do a lot for your character. When everything is going fantastic, there is, you can enjoy God, but there is something different that happens when you're facing challenges and you're walking with God. When you wrestle through some things with God, when you wrestle with God, you start to learn some different things about him. We see the patriarch, Jacob. You guys know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You guys heard of the nation of Israel? That was a guy who birthed 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And his name was first Jacob. And we see a very key moment in his life. He's wrestling with God. No, not mentally, not in prayer. No, like God shows up and wrestles with him. It's wild to me. I don't know why fully to be real, it's a deep story, but he wrestles with God, and God changes his name after that, and he calls him Israel, and he says, you've wrestled with God and with man. There is something that we learn about God when we wrestle. So if you're going through some challenges or you've been through some challenges, I want you to know that there's a purpose behind it. And sometimes there is pain that is God-ordained. Not all pain is what I would call God-ordained pain. There's some pain that sin brings, darkness brings, evil brings, bad choices bring. But then there's some pain that is developmental. And I would venture to say that God will use anything, even if even if he did not ordain it for you, even if he didn't call you to do some of the things that you did, he'll still use. And this is why Romans tells us that all things work together and God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so even your mistakes, God will work together for the good. But tonight I want to focus on pain and specifically God-ordained pain. And here's where, here's where we're going to study tonight. I was thinking about a couple different lives in Scripture, and I found myself looking at the life of a man named Joseph. And <laughs> a big sigh, huh? Because 
And Joseph is by far one of my favorite people in Scripture. But can I tell you that recently, like this week, like as I've been reading it, it did not have the glamour that it normally has when I read it. And it was hard for me to see the same beauty that I normally see in the story because I realized that Joseph led a very painful life. Like, he went through a lot of pain. So, yes, we see Joseph go through some struggles, and we're going to talk about it. We see Joseph go through some struggles, and ultimately God really blessed him and exalted him and used him and given him a great purpose. Yes, but all throughout that journey is a bunch of pain. And that's something to wrestle with. Because as I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is not easy. And so as we dive in tonight, I want to start. I mean, Joseph's story happens over like 14 chapters. (laughs) So we're not going to cover the whole thing tonight, but we're going to kind of weave through it. And we're going to start in Genesis 37, chapters 5 through 8. Joseph, this is when he's 17 years old says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Wow. That's enough, right? Like, you already see this family dynamic that's painful. Joseph is 17 years old. He's his father's favorite kid because he was born in his father's old age by the the wife that he loved, And his brothers did not like him. And we can read that in a story, but imagine experiencing it. He's he's one of 12 brothers, and he is the least liked. He's hated by his brothers. Not just disliked, not just kind of mistreated. It actually says they hated him. And now he has a dream from God, and when he shares it with them, they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, Joseph did not come up with a good idea and share it with his brothers. He had a dream from God. And shared it with his brothers. Now, we, we hear a, a lot about, you know, you may not want to share your dream with everybody. It may not always be the right time, but I'm not going to dive into that. I, I would say that at the end of the day, man, God had a calling over Joseph's life. 17 years old, God gives him a vision of his life. And this vision is one that we would all find appealing, that we are the leader. We are exalted. We are respected. In fact, our own family serving us. Now, in this day, it's, it's super, um, I mean, that would have been really encouraging to him as he was one of the youngest of his brothers. And like the youngest was not the most respected. It was the oldest brother. And then even, you know, it says his, his, his father and mother, he had another dream. And in that one, it's representing his whole family, even his father and mother. And so even Jacob, his father was like, what is this dream you had? Like, that's not going to happen. Stop sharing that. And they hated him because of this. And when I look at this, I see pain. 
Like when I look at this from the lens that I'm looking at it right now, I see pain. This is difficult. You know, it's easy to read past this in the Bible, but when you actually have to live it out, like you have to live day in and day out around people who don't like you, how does that feel? And then not just don't like you, what about people who hate you? What about people who hate you because God called you to do something? Not because you're mean, not because you actually did anything to them, but because you were just born and have a calling. And God wired you a certain way. And they just don't like you. How does that feel? And God could have set him up a lot of different ways, but I would say that this is one of the first aspects of God-ordained pain in his life. And here's why I would say that. It's because we see so many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. We see Jesus rejected by people. We see Jesus rejected by the people closest to him. Do you guys know that Jesus, his own brothers, didn't believe in him? Like, imagine, just imagine for a second. Imagine Jesus being your sibling. That's got to be a weird dynamic. Your sibling is God. That's probably hard to believe. Like, you had diapers too, you know? Jesus probably farted in the house. Like, there's no way that God's farts smell like that. This is sibling talk. It's hard to believe that this guy's God. So then how does that feel to Jesus as he grows and as he becomes an adult? And the people closest to him don't even believe in who he is. He's going around doing miracles, and they still don't believe in him. How does that feel? It's difficult. I would say that it's for a purpose, though. And um, I would love to say that this got better, but... The story just continues to get worse. So then we go a few verses down. Uh, Jacob sends Joseph out to go see what his brothers have going on. Joseph was a bit of a rule follower, and he had told his, his father that his, when, where his brothers were doing some wrong things. And so, you know, he's, he's the favorite son. And this time... He's sent out to go find his brothers and come bring a report as to what they have going on and how the flocks are doing because they're shepherds. And he goes out to look for them. He can't find them. There's a man in the field, and he asks the guy where they are, and it says here in verses 17 through 18, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. His own brothers. This is toxic. Like, this is crazy for this to be somebody's actual life. You are going out just to meet your own family, and they plotted to kill him. Now, 
there's a lot of things that we could say about this. But I want us to take a few things away from it. I actually encourage you guys to, to go read the story because I just, I absorbed so much from reading it and can only share a small portion of it. But the first thing that I want to say, that I want to draw from this is this, that God-ordained pain is the price we pay for the character of Christ. God-ordained pain is the price we pay for the character of Christ. We see Joseph walking out something that is very similar to what Jesus would experience. Jesus was going around doing good. He wasn't doing anything wrong. And his own people plotted to kill him as he was doing good. And how we see Jesus respond is a reflection of his character. How we see Joseph respond for the rest of this narrative is pointing to the character of God that was being developed in him. But you and I, we typically want the calling of God with no cost. We want it to be all profit and no price. But there is a price to pay for character. Purpose comes free. But the character of God comes at a cost. We see here he was given the vision early on. He didn't need to do anything to be called by God. He didn't need to do anything to have a vision for God to have a purpose for him. He didn't have to work for that. But then there was a price to pay for who he would have to become to walk that out. And I don't know if we talk about that enough, that there is a price to pay for the character of God, and it's not monetary. You cannot pay God for character. You cannot come out of your pocket and get character. You have to go through circumstances, and your response is a price that you pay. Amen. How you respond in challenges, in circumstances, how you respond to pain is an offering to God. When you respond with the character of God, when you respond in obedience, it is a price you pay. Now, it's not just a price you pay that you don't get anything for. Because that's what we'll be tempted to believe when we're going through difficult things. It feels like it's just taking from us. It feels like this is just an L. This is just a full withdrawal. I got to pay this big price and I don't get anything back. Like, like a parking ticket or a speeding ticket. It's the worst. The money is just flushed down the drain. A high ticket price. You just pay you are at the wrong place doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, and now you just got to pay, and you can't do anything about it, and you pay more than you want, and you get nothing in return. You get nothing in return for paying a speeding ticket. Nothing. But with God, <laughs> with God, he doesn't have us pay prices that he doesn't give us something of value for. 
When, when we give something to God, he gives something of greater value to us. And so the price that you pay in your obedience, what you get in exchange is of greater value. To have the character of God is of greater value than the price that you paid for it. But it can only be cultivated through living life. And so look at scripture. You're going to see this in each person's life, that they're going to have to go through difficult circumstances. Like if you read it with realistic eyes, like if we look at somebody like Elijah, who was a, a, a famous, amazing prophet, but he had to live, like he gave this amazing prophecy that it wasn't going to rain. And a lot of times we always talk about like the end of it where the rain happens and we sing songs about it. But like in the drought, he had to live by a river outside and be fed because there was a famine. God would send ravens with bread for him. Who wants that life? I'm being sent food in the mouth of a bird. That's nasty, first of all. (laughs) Just read it with realistic eyes. I don't want some bird bringing me my meal. That's disgusting. I don't want to live outside. This, but that's what he had to do in a season of his life, and it was ordained by God. And again, I'm not saying that all pain is ordained by God, but what is ordained by God will come with some pain. Your purpose will come with some pain. Your purpose will come with some challenges because if it doesn't, you will never get the character of God. And that's ultimately what he's trying to accomplish in your life. And so God ordained pain is the price we pay for the character of God. Let's look at uh, the next step in Joseph's life. So they plot to kill him, and one of his brothers stands up for him, and he's like, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. Let's not shed his blood. Let's not beat him. Let's throw him in this pit. And then some some guys from another city were passing by. They were going down to Egypt. Long story short, his brothers sell him as a slave to strangers. This guy's 17 years old. He goes from his regular life with his dad loving him, the favorite kid. He's got this vision from God. He goes out to do the right thing. He's just doing what his dad asked him to do. And his brothers sell him as a slave to a foreign nation. Do you know how terrifying that had to be? I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know who these people are. I don't know their language. I don't know where we're going. And life seems to be doing this. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. 
both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. I want you to pay attention to a few things here. He is a slave. And the Lord was with him so that he prospered. Seems a little contradictory. How are you prospering as a slave? You're a foreigner in this land. You've been purchased. You are property. You are owned. But then it's saying that the Lord was with him. Did he feel like God was with him? I don't know. Because I can read it and I can see that God was with him, but I don't know how Joseph felt about it. Because I don't know how I would feel if I'm a slave and, well, things seem to be kind of going well and things could be worse. Like I could be a mistreated slave, but now I'm a well-treated slave. I don't know if I'm looking at that as a blessing as much as maybe I should. Have you ever been in a situation where everything seems like it seems like God is blessing you in one area but there's a whole area unattended to like this whole slavery thing can I go home like that would be a blessing that would be the blessing God that would show me that you're with me if somebody comes and gets me out of slavery not you blessing this man's house that owns me. <laughs> let's, let's be real. Can we read it with realistic eyes? This is, why, this is why it's so important to read the Bible. Because we don't read it like this many times. And this is why we miss out on so much of who God is and why we are so confused in our lives. Because your life and my life will look like this. Jesus is walking around drenched in the power of God, able to raise the dead, heal the sick, and yet he's insulted, he's mistreated, he's rejected. Many times he doesn't. He tells somebody who's about to come follow him, he says, look, I don't even have, like, my own house. This is what God says. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of, the, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you want to follow me? Because it might not look like what you think. It, it may not be what's been presented to you. That it's all prosperity and no pain. Because if Jesus was walking around uncertain as to where he would sleep, as God in human flesh... I find it hard to believe that you and I are supposed to have all certainty, all ease, all comfort, everything taken care of at every moment of the day, and nothing to pray about. I didn't say worry about. I said pray about. And this is what leads me to, I don't want to pass by this scripture Jesus, Peter says this about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, 20 verses 20 through 23. Peter is saying this to, to the believers. He says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. 
Wait, I was called to suffer for doing good and endure it. I thought I was called to a much better life than that, is what most of us would say. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So there's a parallel here. We see it in Joseph's life. We see it in Jesus's life. And we're supposed to be seeing it in our own lives that apparently it is commendable before God to be experiencing unfair things and to act right. To not understand why everything that's happening to us is happening to us and still be faithful. To not look for everything to add up and be fair before we choose to be faithful. But logic will tell you, this is not fair, I should leave. But that's not the character of God. That's your flesh. But this is why the character of God has to be developed in us, because it's not natural to us. And it is absolutely a painful experience to go through unfair things, to be mistreated, and to not retaliate. But it's godly. This is what he's calling us to. Thank you. This is what he's calling you and me to do. So staying the course is about understanding this, that that's commendable before God. It's not going to be commendable to anybody else. Everybody else is going to ask you, well, why are you doing that? Why are you still there? Why didn't you leave that job? Why do you still talk to that family member? <laughs> Why would you forgive that person? See, this is what being like Jesus looks like. This is why it's so important that we read the Bible, because for most of the time, that is not what's coming across our Reels page on Instagram. That's not what you're finding on TikTok. It's not like, be faithful in the midst of not being treated well and everything not working out well for you. <laughs> Who's telling you that? Jesus is. That's who he is. And we don't know that unless he tells us that because nothing in our minds would tell us that's how God is. Seriously, that's why sometimes these stories are difficult to read. Because God, why would this be good to you? And these are the conclusions that I've come to. One is that it develops the character of God in us. And number two is this. God-ordained pain is designed to draw us into God's presence. So what we see happening in Joseph is he's in a circumstance where he has nobody to lean on but God. 
He has nobody but God. I mean, he's taken completely out of his comfort zone, out of everyone who loves him and who is familiar with him. He's, his dad thinks he's dead. This is heartbreaking for everybody. His father thinks he's dead. He's in a foreign land as a slave. He can't go anywhere. God is with him, but God is not taking him out of the situation. God is walking with him through the situation. And many times that's what you will find in your life, that God is not taking you out of the situation. He's walking with you through it. And God doesn't always walk fast. <laughs> we're like, God, can you pick up the pace? Can we go to a jog, at least a light jog through this valley of the shadow of death? And, and God is still just walking at the same pace because he walks at the pace of heaven that is eternal and knows that even what seems like a long time to you is just this in the, in the span of eternity. And he, and he walks with you slow enough so that you can actually see what's happening. He walks slow enough for you to ask questions. He walks slow enough for you to really feel the pressure of it. We want to run through difficult situations. God will walk with us slowly through difficult situations and allow us to feel the pressure, allow us to feel the squeeze, and allow us to really make choices. I feel this squeeze. What am I going to do? Am I going to obey or am I going to leave? Am I going to obey or am I going to abandon? And God wants us to stay the course because he is a God who stays the course. We serve a suffering servant. He's now exalted at the right hand of God. Make no mistakes about it. Jesus Christ is resurrected. All glory, all honor, all authority, but it came at a price. Even God paid the price for his exaltation amongst us. Isn't that crazy? That, that God would humble himself and take on servanthood and subject himself to difficulty, subject himself to pain, and show us how to respond to it. He didn't come and take all the pain out of the world. He came and inserted himself and inserted his presence. And in the midst of pain, he is calling us into his presence. Joseph had a unique opportunity that really you can't get any other way except for being in a difficult circumstance. He had the opportunity to obey God when nobody was holding him accountable. Who was examining his faithfulness to God? Who cared about a Jew's faithfulness to his Jewish God in Egypt? Who would expect him to uphold his standards as a slave? Joseph had an opportunity 
to stay the course in a situation that most of us would have told him to abandon ship. And God-ordained pain is designed to draw us into the presence of God. I want us to look at this in the life of Jesus in Matthew 14. Uh, this is right after his cousin, John the Baptist, was, was killed. Well, actually, in uh, verses, we're going to read where he was killed. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. Somebody had requested, you can go read the story, that John the Baptist was beheaded. And he says, it, and he had John beheaded in the prison. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So John is Jesus' cousin. They're six months apart. Their mothers are sisters. John, Jesus describes as the greatest person to ever live. That's how Jesus described his cousin John. He says, among people born of women, just all humans. I know we're trying to shift that in some areas of society, but it's still a reality that humans are born by women. And he says, among all of human beings, no one is greater than John the Baptist. So he thought very highly of his cousin John and the work that he had done in living out his calling as a prophet. And he had prepared the way for Jesus to come. And he, his, the end of his calling came in a very painful way. Like John was thrown in prison, and I don't think that's where he expected to end up. Like, God visited John's parents, like, personally, to announce that he was coming. I don't know if your parents got a visit from God. Mine didn't. Maybe a vision or, you know, maybe a prophecy over your life. But no, God actually showed up, announced the birth of John, and then here he is, early 30s, after doing, like living out his calling, being obedient, he ends up in prison. I don't think that's where he expected to be, and I, and I think that had to be painful, even to the point that, that John, who had disciples, he sent his disciples to go ask Jesus, like, hey, go make sure like he's the one that we're supposed to be expecting. Because I don't think things were supposed to end up like this, is I believe what he was implying. He says, go ask him, like, are you the one to come? Like, are you the Messiah? Even though John had said, when he saw Jesus, there was a moment in Scripture where John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when he started experiencing that pain and that pressure of disappointment and unmet expectations, his faith was getting shaken. The greatest among men, his faith was getting shaken because he's experiencing pain. And then he dies. He's beheaded. Just seems tragic overall. And then Jesus, who's close with John, hears the news. And what does he do? It says that he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. That pain drew him into the presence of God. Jesus 
in experiencing the pain of the loss of his cousin, decided, I need to go spend time with the father. That was Jesus's response, and we can learn a lot from that because he is the example that we follow. And so just like Joseph had nobody but God to depend on, Jesus, how much more? Nobody understood Jesus. Who is Jesus going to go talk to? Who's going to counsel Jesus? I'm really struggling with being the Messiah. (laughs) Who can give Jesus advice? All he has is the Father. All he had was prayer. And that's really all you have. I know we want it to be something else. We want it to be anything else. We want it to be some form of relief, a change in our circumstances, better friends, a mentor, like somebody to just give me answers to get through this. And many times God allows us to be in a position where we only have him. And it is your choice as to whether you go to him or not or whether you just keep trying to muscle through. Because what we see in Jesus' life is, it says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So Jesus is experiencing grief. He's experiencing pain. He tries to withdraw, but people are following him. He can't get away from his calling. And so Jesus has to navigate the tension of people needing him and him needing God. Or the Father. Because he is God in human flesh, but he's also experiencing human pain. And he needs his father in heaven. How are you dealing with pain? How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with tension? How do you deal with demand in the midst of pain? We have an example to follow in Jesus. And 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 we can draw a lot from the story that we see with Joseph because ultimately um, things still don't get better for Joseph in that season of his life. What happens is he's continuing to stay faithful to God and the master of his house, Potiphar, his wife has a thing for Joseph. And so now here comes temptation. And so I mean, it's like just when he's kind of getting his footing, just when he's like, okay, this is not where I expected my life to end up, but maybe I can make this work. You know, like I've actually experienced some blessings here. Um, You know, I'm in charge of some things. This is not like the dream that I had, but maybe, maybe, maybe I can, I can deal with this. Then she comes trying to sleep with him and he won't do it. So then she gets mad and accuses him of assaulting her. And her husband believes her. And so her husband says that he's the captain of the guard, and he added his own prison. So Joseph was overseeing everything he had, and then Joseph ends up in his prison. So he has Joseph thrown in prison. And as we talked about last week with Paul being in prison, again, even in this scripture, it refers to this prison as a pit. So 
things didn't get better for Joseph. In fact, they got more challenging. And when I look at this, I just wonder how could he possibly have had any hope? I mean, just, just look at this for a second. He's, he's a Jew. He's not from here, right? He's in Egypt. He's brought here as a slave. He's a foreigner. He's a slave. Now he's a slave who's committed a crime in their eyes. Committed a crime against one of the top guys in the nation's wife. Who's coming for Joseph? He's in prison. There's no way he sees a way out of this. I can't see a way out of this. Like, if this is where the story ended, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, wow, that was terrible. (laughs) But it's understandable. Like, nobody's coming to check on him. His family thinks he's dead. There's nobody else around. Everybody's like, wow, he committed this crime. He should be in prison. And nobody's going to challenge the captain of the guard. I guess that means the captain of the military. And now what? And then we see the Lord was with him in prison. So much so that the person who ran the prison put Joseph in charge of everything in the prison. And I imagine, again, this has to be painful because now I'm Joseph and I'm reminded that God is with me. But God is allowing me to go deeper and deeper into terrible situations. I already started out being hated by my brothers. I thought that was bad. Now I'm a slave in Egypt. I thought that was bad. Now I'm in a pit prison. And I can only draw from this that Joseph had to be a person of prayer in order to be obedient and be faithful. Because it says that the Lord was with him. And because of the way that they saw God in his life, that is why they entrusted him with authority, even in a prison. This means Joseph had to be a man of character. It means Joseph had to still maintain the standard that he knew God was holding him to. And he still had to remain and keep his faithfulness to God and stay obedient. That only happens through having a prayer life. Like, None of us are regularly obedient and don't pray. If you don't pray, you are not that obedient to God. I'm going to just tell you. You may think you're doing well, but there's probably a lot of areas of your life that you are not submitted to God. Because submission to God, it just requires prayer. Like you have to pray to get through it. This is why Paul ends up saying, pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. The challenges are never ending. You'll always have something to pray about. Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Don't worry about anything. In all things, pray. And I believe Joseph had to live that out. 
And then we see Jesus live that out. And so Jesus tries to withdraw after the death of John the Baptist. He withdraws, but then people are following him. And then he has compassion on them. He teaches them and sees that they're hungry. And this is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's when he's in this situation. How does Jesus have energy to do ministry in the midst of his grief? Jesus is doing a miracle. Who cares if they're hungry? I'm going through something. It's how most of us would handle that. I get a pass here. I'm going through something. Jesus instead goes to the place of prayer and oneness with the Father and withdraws and apparently receives strength from God to come do a miracle. And then it says, and then in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Jesus knew the power of going into the presence of God and connecting with God. He knew that he needed the Father. Jesus did not walk around full of purpose, living out his calling without prayer, without a relationship with God, without submission to him, without making time. This was a busy guy. Jesus was busy. Jesus had a lot going on. Jesus couldn't even get a moment for himself without thousands of people following him. And you think you're busy. Too busy to pray. Too busy to spend time with God. But this is because of the pace at which we live life. This is normal in our culture. And this is why we need to spend time with God so that he can start rearranging our thinking because we actually have to go against the grain of our culture if we're ever going to be like Christ. And I can't say I'm busier than Jesus. So Jesus found time to pray when he was tired, when he had been doing a lot, when he was going through a lot. He's grieving the death of his cousin, just got done doing a whole miracle, feeding thousands of people, which took time. His disciples had to hand out the meals to thousands of people. That takes time. And Jesus sat there and ate with people until they were done. Has his disciples pick up all the scraps, tells his disciples to go across the lake, and Jesus goes and withdraws to pray. Now, here's what's really cool about what happens next is because we all actually know what happens next. We just don't realize that this was happening after this. So right after this, there across the lake, Jesus walks on water to catch up with them. You know what that says to me? That Jesus did whatever it took to go spend time with the Father. Even if I got to walk on water to get back to them, God will help me get there. And some of us, man, if we would prioritize spending time with the Father, oh, he would help us catch up to what we feel like is getting delayed, what we feel like needs to be tended to. God will make up the gap. God can do a miracle in your life, but he's not going to let you skip relationship with him. When you prioritize relationship with him, you'll skip past a bunch of other things. Oh, this is just water. I'll help you walk on it. What you really needed was some time in prayer. And so if work is overwhelming and it's infringing on your prayer life, 
Try prioritizing prayer and letting God help you navigate your work life. If there's a big demand on your life in any area, try prioritizing prayer and relationship with the Father and watch him have you catch up to what you need to catch up to. Because those things are not all that important in the grand scheme of things. It's your relationship with him that's most important. And so there's no way God is saying, you know what, child, I know you're super busy. No need for time with me. No need for a relationship with me. No need for prayer. No need for reading the word because I know you have a lot going on. There's just no way that that's how God is operating. But I do know that God might say to you, hey, no need to work on that right now. Come spend time with me and I'll help you work on that. I know that there are some people depending on you and relying on you. Come spend time with me and I'll help you get to them. And so God-ordained pain is designed to draw us into God's presence. And the last thing is this. Your purpose will overshadow your pain in the end. At the end of the day, Jesus is exalted. He's not going to die anymore. Jesus is never going to get hit again. He's never going to go through the challenges that he went through again. That is in the past. For the rest of eternity, he is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Seated at the right hand of the Father. All things are subjected under his feet. And nothing is changing that. His name is above every name. And he paid the price for that to be the case. And his purpose far outshadows, overshadows his pain. His purpose far outweighs the temporary pain. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, is what the scriptures say. Because the cross was a, a high price to pay, but in comparison to what he was gaining, it was a small price to pay. And I would say the same thing for you. Because Jesus invites you to take up your cross and follow him and to deny yourself and follow him and to lay your life down and find life in him. And what you will gain far outweighs what you will give up. What you will give up for God pales in comparison to what you gain with God. And we even see this in Joseph's life from his own lips. He says this, after everything is said and done, I'll fast forward through the story for you real quick. After the prison, he ends up second in command over all of Egypt through a work of God. And then spends seven years helping Egypt manage their resources to prepare for a famine that's going to affect everybody around them. And then when the famine hits, Egypt is the only place with resources because God put one of his people in place in preparation for a famine 20 years before it happened. We see Joseph being sold into slavery when in reality God sees his child being sent to Egypt because what's going to happen 20 years later? And he needs somebody in place who can hear him because it's going to save many lives. And lo and behold, the famine hits his own family. It finds its way up to where they are. 
And Egypt is the only place with resources. So then the brothers come to Egypt. And who do they run into? Joseph. And Joseph has the opportunity to say, all right, guys, your turn to die. (laughs) That's how I imagine it. But he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't. He has mercy on them. He has compassion on them. Catch this. Because the pain didn't make him bitter. The pain produced the character of God in him. So he had compassion and mercy and was kind to them even when they had done so much wrong to him. And this is where we see the fruit of his relationship with God. It was in that decision. So he blesses them and... Everything ends up working out, right? And then at the end uh, of this story, his father ends up dying. Jacob dies, and the brothers are scared. They're like, okay, we think that he was just keeping us alive for the sake of our father. But now that our father is dead, he's probably going to kill us. Like, there's no way he's past that. But this is what Joseph says to them in Genesis 50, verses 20 through 21. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Man. I mean, look at that perspective. Look at that perspective. He says, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. In Joseph's eyes, the purpose had now overshadowed the pain. He was able to see what God was doing regardless of what people had intended it for. And I would say that that's what God is inviting you and I to. And so as we close tonight, I want you to think about what you have going on in your life, some of the pain that you've experienced, some of the painful things that you've been through. And I want to allow some time for God to speak to us about that tonight. And so we're going to have the team come out. And I want to just take a moment, not a long time, but just some time to meditate on this because I don't want this to be something we just bypass. I want us to have an opportunity for God to speak to some of our hearts tonight. And so I'm going to have you close your eyes. And team, you guys can come out behind me and just play. And I want you to ask this question. Lord, would you give me your perspective on my circumstances? Very simple. And I just want us to take a minute to allow God to minister to us. Lord, would you give me your perspective on my circumstances?
God wants to encourage some hearts tonight. Pain is not something that's easy to deal with. Challenges are not something that's easy to deal with. And I know that God wants to be able to minister to you and I in the midst of what we have going on. And so often we don't allow him to minister to us. But what you will find is that when you open space, God will minister to you, not condemn you, not beat you down, not tell you all the things you need to change and get right. But our loving Father will minister to our hearts. Even his correction is ministry to us. He will minister correction to us. He'll minister instruction to us. And this is a posture that you can take at any time of any day. This is your secret sauce. This is your secret weapon. When the devil tries to come against you with accusation, with lies, with, with thoughts that nothing's going to change, that God has abandoned you, that your circumstances are never going to shift, that you have lost in life, when he tries to come at you with this, this is your secret sauce. You step into the secret place with God and invite God to speak to you. And one of the most powerful things you can ever ask God is to give you his perspective. I remember, you can open your eyes. I remember being in this room after going through a very difficult transition and I was in a very un uncertain season of my life. I had come to this church in 2013, 10 years ago. Got saved and got on fire for God. And I was here for like a year and then I moved and went through a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, but God, I knew that he was calling me to leave the job that I was at and move back to Atlanta and specifically to come back to Victory not to work, but just to come back to my church because I had been experiencing some spiritual deficits where I was. And I came back and I was kind of on a high because I had left this job that, was, that I thought was actually gonna be my future. Like I thought that I was gonna just do that for the rest of my life. And I thought that was going to be uh, what God had for me in this measure of success. And I left it and I was kind of on this high until I started realizing like, oh wait, I don't know what I'm about to do next. Like I, I, I was only, like I was thinking about following you, God. Like I knew that you were calling me to do this, but now I'm actually out here. Like I actually moved back. Like I had my own place and it was a nice place. And I just moved back to Atlanta and I just moved in with my parents. And like, this is temporary, right? Like this is really, this is about to be a really short time, right? And, you know, what do you want me to do next? And I was sitting right back in that section here at a fusion service. And it was a closing worship time. And I asked God, when I started getting worried, I asked God, I know you see my situation from a much bigger point of view. Lord, help me to see what you see. And it led to 
him showing me just the next step. Just the next step. One thing. He didn't show me, the, he didn't show me you're going to be the pastor of this ministry. I had no idea. You know what he told me? I had been getting certified in personal training for fun. Like it was a hobby. And I was like, you know what? I want to learn you know, more about this. I'm, this is a hobby. I'm doing a whole different career. And he told me, you've been getting certified in this. Finish this, and I want you to actually go do this. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, okay, that's cool. I'll do that temporarily. And can I tell you that that ended up being three years of up and down and it not being everything that I thought that it was going to be and struggles, but it opened doors and built relationships that opened doors that I would have never been able to have access to otherwise. Some of you guys know that me and Gabrielle, it's a whole another story, had a fully sponsored wedding, like a beautiful wedding that we didn't pay a dime for. That only happened as a result of being in the right place at the right time and being willing to train the right person. And I could have never known that that was going to come from that moment. And that that season, it was just a stepping stone. It was just a stepping stone for where he was going to take me. But it was so important that I actually walked through it. And it was not a glamorous season. It was working at a gym, not getting paid what I wanted, mopping floors, cleaning toilets. It was feeling like I'm like, I felt like I was supposed to be the successful person and now I'm just like training the successful people. And it was very humbling. But can I tell you that purpose will overshadow pain in the end? That there'll be a season where you look back on the season that you're in and even now you can look back on past seasons. And so what I want us to do is just stand across the building Because what I know is that the enemy wants to keep us focused on the pain and wants to keep us focused on what's not fair, on what's not working, on what we don't like. But things shift when our focus shifts and when our worship starts reflecting who God is, not just what our circumstances are like, we start experiencing something powerful. And can I tell you that you won't always be in a space of pain. You won't always be in a valley. You'll, you'll get to the mountaintop moments. So take the opportunity to worship in the valley because you won't always be in one. Take the opportunity to pray and to worship in pain because you won't always be in pain. And so you can even see your pain as an opportunity to engage with God in a special way. And so I wanna pray for us. And then I just want us to spend a few moments acting that out because I know that God ministered some things to us tonight. And I just believe that there's a response that we can give to God like he's worthy. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your love. 
God, I thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your mercy and your compassion that you show us, Lord. I thank you for every person in this place watching online, Lord, that you've ministered to. God, I thank you for the gift of your ministry to us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would give strength, that you would give courage to your children to stay the course, to keep moving forward, to put one foot in front of the other, to not allow obstacles to keep them from obedience. Lord, I pray for a a wave of grace to come upon your people because your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe that, to lean into that. And God, I pray that you would help us to respond, respond, respond to you. Some of us need to respond in obedience. Some of us need to respond in prayer. Some of us need to respond with worship. And some of us need to respond with submission. And if that's you tonight, before we move forward, if you have not submitted to God, like if you're not in relationship with God, if, if you're not saved right now, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not in relationship with him, but you want to be, before we move forward, before we worship, before we celebrate him, I want to give you an opportunity to step into a relationship with him. And so I just want you to put your hand up so we can pray. If that's you tonight, I'm giving my life to God. I'm stepping into a relationship with Jesus. there's a hand up, I don't see it. I don't want to move forward. If there's somebody who wants to give their life to Christ, I see you. Lift it up high if that's you. Well, Lord, I thank you. I see you. You can pray this prayer with me and all the believers around the room, you pray this with with us. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe you put on human flesh, that you lived sinless and blameless, perfect, and you died for me. I believe you resurrected and that you're alive right now. I believe you have the authority to forgive me And so I repent for my sins. I turn away from my old life and I give my life to you. I put you in charge. I make you the leader of my life and I will follow you forever. Thank you for your gift of salvation, that you love me, that you accept me, that you have purpose for me. I'll walk with you forever. In Jesus' name. Can we celebrate? Can we celebrate? Like God is able, like he's worthy, like he's still saving lives and changing lives and changing us. Some of us need to break out of our comfort zone and the safety of our silence. And we need to clap and we need to lift our hands. 
and we need to worship him and start experiencing God. Not just talking about God, we need to start experiencing God. And can I tell you that God wants to experience you. God wants to experience your worship. He wants to hear your prayers. He, want you, he wants you to thank him. He wants you to say who he is and declare his truth over your life. And so let's give him what he's worth tonight. Amen? Let's worship. <laughs>